So hi, um, this is Mike Edelhart. I'm here with another edition of Inception, where we talk about everything related to beginnings, beginnings of companies, beginnings of new technologies, new careers, new ideas. Uh, and uh, today, I'm here with one of uh, my favorite people and one of our most successful uh, uh, entrepreneurs, Che Huang. Thank you very much for having me, Mike. Great to have you here. I love the name of the podcast, by the way. So one of my favorite movies uh, as well. Um, I know it's a different inception here, but uh, but still. Yeah, it uh, it is. That's a very different idea. We come to inception because we talk about the way we invest as moment of inception investing because words like seed and early stage mean so many different things to so many different uh, people. We thought that that would make it clearer that we, as we did with you, really intend to be there at the very beginning, at the inception, to write first checks to companies as they start, which is something most funds uh, don't do. It's it's funny you mention that because um, what you said is so right. Because um, you know the the concept of seed and pre-seed and like everything is getting pushed bigger and bigger. So um, even like our seed round, which was a million bucks, is like probably considered uh, a pre-seed round. Uh, these days, right? Like, or or not even a pre-seed. That's more like friends and family, probably. Yeah, we're getting uh, into you know the kind of language they use for cosmetics or something. There's so many words. There's pre-seed. There's pre-seed. <laughs> there's a prep. There's pre-a prep. And uh, in the fund, we've just started talking about first raise, second raise, okay, third raise, just to to make it uh, to make it clear to us and everybody else that we want to try and be in the first, and then in many cases, you need a modest second and. Uh, that kind of thing, because it gets pretty confusing yeah. and uh, uh, to us, uh, the entrepreneurs and everybody. So in this case, so let's go back to the beginning. So uh, there you were, uh, a New York a lawyer with an interest in games, experiencing games. So exactly where was it and how did you and, and Bill Losey, our founding partner, uh, find one another? Because it was before you actually started the company or right as you were starting, right? It was. Um, so... Um even before uh, kind of I met Bill, uh, our first ride was actually in social gaming. And so um, back in 2009, 2010, we just had this thesis that, you know, uh, you know I'm going to date myself a little bit, but Farmville, Mafia Wars, and all these type of games would actually be really good on this new thing called the iPhone. So this is still the days of the iPhone 2G and the 3G had just come out. Um, and we basically rode that theory, uh, raised around in that company, uh, eventually uh, were acquired by Zynga before their IPO. So rode that rocket ship up, rode that Titanic down, and really had a, a, a really good education on the full life cycle uh, of a startup from literally someone's mom's attic uh, all the way to through an acquisition, through the day of the IPO, like standing in front of the NASDAQ, uh, all the way to seeing the share price down to $1.85 intraday. Um, it was a real education. But during that time, I thought the most valuable thing that I could uh, get out of my time at Zynga was um, uh, taking a brand name, and at the time, you know, still most people know Zynga, uh, and really meeting at least one uh, interesting person uh, every week. Um, and so I, I, I actually was pretty good at it. I, I stuck with it. And one of those folks was, was Bill. Um, and we were at the La Pan Quotidian, like across the street from the Zynga office. Um, and after that meeting, he was like, I hope, you, you're, I hope I'm your first call when you start your next thing. Um, and I still remember um, uh, uh, Bill was in the first tranche of the three people I called uh, the day I rode the elevator down uh, when I kind of put in my notice at Zynga and said, you know, I'm thinking about doing something new. 
Um, and Bill was like, you know, I'm in. Didn't even yeah. ask what the idea was. He was like, I'm in. Yeah, yeah and he, he was. And, of course, the reason for that is twofold. One, you. He believed in you. And, uh, and we can maybe talk more about that. The second is we know, because Bill and I have been doing this a long time, that the basis upon which the company will ultimately become successful is never exactly what the entrepreneur says yeah. <laughs> on the day when they come in with the 12 slides that are going to change the world. Uh, life is more complicated than that. Absolutely. And, and I think, um, you know, we found that to be the case as well. Um, the, uh, I guess the, the hardest thing throughout that process is not so much making the dream come alive. That's very difficult, but also making sure that you still live that dream, meaning that um, a lot of folks uh, don't have the grit or, or actually, you know, first few missteps, they're like, you know, I'm done with this, onto the new one. Um, so I, I, I totally see it. If I were an investor, it would be probably more about the people than it would be about the idea because ideas, we can name any idea right here, Mike, and probably within a 20-mile square radius of where we're sitting right now, probably at least 100 people have a very similar idea. Right. Um, but it's, if do you have that grit uh, when someone punches you in the face, and you will get punched many times on multiple days um, to really make it a reality and for you to still be happy and live that dream. Yeah, so that there was a whole lot in that answer, uh, uh, and it'd be great, I think, to unpack uh, all of it. Uh, we agree uh, entirely that one of the things we say in the fund is that almost every human being is terrible at almost everything. <laughs> so, you know, we're uh, not the two tallest guys sure. uh, in the universe, or you throw us out on an NBA court and nothing good <laughs> is going to happen. You bring an NBA player in to do the things that we do, and there's going to be no joy. You take all of us out and put us in the kitchen at La Grandma, and they're not going to be happy people eating dinner. So a lot of it is about uh, this time, this group of people, particularly the leader, um, and uh, the ideas they have, and it all has to sort of line up. Um, and the other thing we talk about at the fund is that, uh, yeah, ideas are like mushrooms after the rain. It, there's, <laughs> there are none, and then suddenly, poof, uh, there are a hundred folks doing variations yep. of the same basic idea. Yep. And uh, and I'd love to go back to. Uh, this notion of grit. Uh, you've mentioned this before. So when you say grit, just what do you mean? What's the experience you've gone through? If you're talking to another entrepreneur, what's the experience you're referring to um, that you sort of sum up when you say you have to have grit? Um, I'd sum it up as just putting one foot in front of the other, uh, meaning that, um, you know, of course, you have to have that five, 10 year vision for the company or else people aren't going to follow you. But at the same time, day to day, putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and that not only means kind of not stopping, because obviously that, you know, that would be the opposite of that. But also that means not getting too far ahead of yourself as well. So meaning that, you know, what I found, even in my first run as an entrepreneur at our gaming company, I kind of let the roller, like, let myself, like, like I rode the roller coaster rather than kind of, um, uh, kind of taking more control uh, in the ups and downs uh, of, of daily life as a, a startup founder. Um, and so I think that grid is not only just making sure that you get up every morning and no matter what you read in the press, no matter what happens in your business, that you're still coming to work, getting the job done the next day. Um, but also at the same time, uh, not getting so full of yourself that you're like, you feel like you're this like awesome entrepreneur and grand founder and nothing in the world can touch you. So that's what I think grit really yeah, so there's an aspect of balance yeah. in that too. And, and in that same answer, you talk some about actually living your life. 
So uh, uh, talk to me about that some. So uh, how do you define balance? How do you achieve balance uh, uh, in a circumstance where what we hear from many folks is not enough hours in the day, never sleep, uh, the sort of uh, mythological vision of what being a startup entrepreneur is like? So um, I actually get decent sleep uh, and a decent amount of sleep. I don't sleep in, um, but I'll get, you know, six to seven hours a night. Because um, I found that if I don't get that, then the the point of me being at work starts to t- deteriorate, meaning that I'm just not as productive. I'm not making good decisions. Um, and so like, why even just, you know, be at work if I'm just here useless, just, you know, a, a bag of bones in a seat, you know? Um, so I actually get a good amount of sleep. Um, but the balance aspect comes from really just focusing on what is really important to you. So unfortunately, uh, as much as I love um, kind of doing certain things in my life, um, the reality is now with the family, like I'm at work, I'm spending time with family, and once in a blue moon, I will, uh, you know, call friends up or be able to join friends. Um, And then also, even for me, fantasy football is very important. And so I will never, no matter how busy I am, I am at the draft in person. So um, it's really just focusing down on that. And it's unfortunate because there is so much more to life uh, potentially for, for, for a lot of people. But for me at this phase, that's what's important to me. So I don't judge how other people spend their time. And, you know, a lot of folks say, oh man, there's so much more to life than just work and family. But I'm like, you know, at least for me, I I enjoy my life and this is where I want to spend my time. And, and I guess that's the balance is that it's, it's in all of us. Right. It's a matter of choices. And one of the things that you probably heard from Bill and that Bill and I talk about a lot and that we practice at the fund because we're kind of a high volume, high speed fund. We find thousands of companies, evaluate thousands of companies every year. And sometimes we get asked, how do you guys do that? Um, Is the belief that uh, being productive isn't really a function of time, it's a function of energy. Mm. And if your energy is high and positive, if you're full of joy, time tends to expand. And if you're stressed and there's a lot of friction in your head, there's a lot of friction in your life, there's a lot of friction in the office, time contracts. And uh, so we work really hard to uh, uh, maintain joy in the folks we work with at the fund. And we actually preach joy and preach love, which sometimes causes a little bit of a cringe in (laughs) younger founders. But say, love your team, love what you're doing, love every day, love the opportunity, love the capacity to take a breath. and uh, it actually correlates with success. That uh, concept resonates with me so much because I feel so blessed, not because of any professional achievements, but because I found the marriage of what, I'm, what I feel like I'm decently good at um, and what I truly enjoy doing professionally. And a lot of folks never find that, that marriage. So take, for example, Tiger Woods. He's really good at golf, or he was, he's getting better still, right? Getting, you know, coming back. Um, I, I'd take his game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, sure, I, yeah, me too. <laughs> and, and I'd live with it somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's been on the record multiple times that, like, he doesn't, like, golf is a job for him. He doesn't really enjoy golf anymore. Like, he does it because it's his livelihood and it's his job. Um, and then also you find folks all the time on the other side, like, they love being, I don't know, a musician, but they may not be very good at it. And so... Luckily, I mean, relatively early in life, I found that marriage, and and I feel very blessed. Yeah, uh, and it shows. I mean, I think, and uh, and let's take that a little bit beyond you. So you've gotten a lot of attention and uh, uh, have talked a lot about 
the kind of unique way you interact with your team and support your team, uh, paying for uh, college uh, personally, I guess, paying for weddings, underwriting all kinds of things, uh, um, being supportive to a degree that's unusual in any company, particularly a growing company. Um, and so talk to me about that a little. Uh, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And what do you think is in it for the uh, employees? What do you think is in it for you? What do you think is in it for the company? That's, um, it's funny that you mentioned what is, it, what is in it for the employees. And I'll, I'll come back to that. So remember kind of that, that point. Um, you know, growing up in, I guess, a working class family, um, you know, there were times when we were, it was very difficult to make the ends meet. Um, and now, uh, though we, I think we pay a very decent wage in our fulfillment centers, offer great benefits, um, there are folks that, you know, can't afford certain luxuries or certain things in life um, uh, on, on an hourly wage. I just think there's just a dis- disparity there for certain families. And so knowing what it feels like to be around at the kitchen table um, and kind of needing to bridge that gap um, you know, still pervades kind of a lot of my daily thought. And so now we have hundreds of employees in fulfillment centers all around the country. And so what can we do? Uh, what can we do our part to make that a little bit better? Um, and so between kind of paying for certain life-changing events, as, as kind of you just mentioned, um, or simply just having a small fund, like if you're a, a full-time fulfillment center employee, you get a small fund of a few hundred bucks. If there's a life emergency, like Literally, you 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 got a flat tire and you you don't have the hundred bucks to get a new tire and you you're like I'm going to declare bankruptcy because I'm a single family earner or a single source income family and we have a family of five. Um, then there's a small fund; it's a few hundred bucks. You can draw down on it and and you know it's it's our way to to kind of help you out. And it may not mean a lot for me and you, but it means all the world to to some of these folks. And so. I take that and then go back to the point of what you said about um, what is it in it, what's in it for me. Those little programs, not everyone is eligible for at the company, um, and so there are folks in the company who aren't aren't going to get married. They're, they have no interest in that. Not going to have kids. Like no, no one's going to college, uh, and they have enough money where you know flat tire doesn't really mean much to them. So nothing's in it for them, you know. But I think it's been a great aspect of us is that. If you truly feel like I'm here because what's in it for me, like why can't why isn't there a program for me? I don't get college, I don't get wedding, I don't get this flat tire benefit. Um, then you, then it, we're probably not the best fit for you, you know. And so that kind of self weeding out of the company has created, I think, a pretty interesting culture um, uh, of of folks that are that are uh, quite cordial and 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 have a certain outlook on life. Yeah, uh, I can imagine how that would happen. And does it have sort of pragmatic benefits, lower turnover, uh, higher uh, employee satisfaction, the sort of more traditional things that, you know, a Harvard Business Review might want to uh, uh, look into in a company? So I can I can point to that in the fulfillment centers. So um, in the fulfillment centers, you know, most folks will give you uh, the minimum level of, or, or any thing in life, if like everyone just showing up to work will give you the minimum effort. So what are you doing that will get them to, to walk a little bit faster, to pick a little faster, to do their job a little bit more carefully? And knowing that these folks work at a company where they're just not a number, um, that we really care about them. And it's not like we can help everyone in every situation, but at least they can have a straight-faced conversation with their manager that this is going on in my life. 
um, is there anything the company can do, uh, has really yielded great results. So when you look at the, our labor costs of how much it costs for us to fulfill an order, even in our non-automated environments, uh, it's lower than than almost the entire industry in terms of benchmarks. Um, so it's it's cents, not dollars, for us fully inbound, fully outbound labor when it comes to an individual uh, item pick. So, um, so I guess that's one way to actually bring it down to math. Yeah, uh, do good and uh, do good yeah. uh, at the same time. I want to go back to something you said earlier. So when you were talking about Zynga, you said it was really an education. You went all the way up, and you went all the way down. So I'm curious as to about I'm curious uh, about what you learned on the way up and what you learned on the way down and how that uh, maybe is being reflected in what you're doing uh, uh, now at uh, uh, at Boxed. That's a, actually, I've never been asked that, so that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I've been asked so many <laughs> yeah. questions at the same time. I was um, going for one. That I, was I, feel, I feel like the thing I took away from that experience the most was that um, – was something that's very simple, but sometimes we all forget like what comes up and will come down. So meaning that um, you should never really be so full of yourself. Uh, don't be so full of hubris that just because you're the hot thing now that you'll be the hot thing in perpetuity. Uh, and that, you know, there was a time when we were at Zynga where it was just unstoppable, like just, just huge, huge, huge revenue and just growing like a weed. Nothing in the world could stop us. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, five, six quarters later, it's like suddenly you've been discarded by all the equities analysts. And so knowing that you shouldn't get too far ahead of yourself and you shouldn't kind of let yourself get too down has been my biggest learning from that experience. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We, um, uh, at the fund, we have offsites every six months. And one of the things I always bring to the offsites are totems about this kind of change, uh, just remember. And uh, this year, it's a picture that's been going around the net. You may have seen it of something the uh, CEO of Walmart keeps oh, in yeah, his yeah. Uh, wallet, which is decade by decade, who are the dominant uh, uh, retailers of, of goods. And you see Sears, 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 Sears. And then about, you know, 10 years ago, Sears starts dropping down the list. And then the most recent one, Sears is off the list and maybe out of business. And, uh, and that's the nature of business. When Bill and I worked for Masayoshi-san at SoftBank, he would, with a straight face, ask us to do worldwide dominant number one plans for 300 years. And his point was that this is not something you can take for granted. The Fortune 500, it all turns over uh, and pretty quick. And so with the current generation, uh, these companies, uh, Google, Amazon, uh, Facebook, have... Uh, advantages that are insurmountable, the future belongs to them. This is the fourth set of companies I've worked with that have that being said about them, and the previous three generations are either gone or now in dramatically different postures. Was uh, was a was a CEO of SoftBank? Uh, could you like at that time? Like, could you predict what uh, what that would be, what he would be, and what the company would be? Like, oh, he already was. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, what I say about about Sansan. Uh, Having worked for Bill Ziff, seen uh, a number of the you know central figures of the PC and Internet eras, uh, Gates and all that, Sonson's unique in that he has no fear. Mm. He doesn't repress fear. Mm. He doesn't uh, deal with fear. He simply doesn't have it. He's, I think, probably like 
the early astronauts are a really great test pilot, that yeah. you couldn't do that if you were trying to deal with yeah. uh, fear or stress. He just doesn't do it. And it allows him to tolerate a degree of change that uh, others wouldn't tolerate, wouldn't even consider. Mm like coming over here and pounding money into internet companies and then picking up going back to Asia and dominating broadband and now coming back here to get content you know uh, that's him and uh, he so thinking big doesn't scare him thinking big doesn't jar him he's perfectly fine with it because I, I you know one of the most fascinating uh, things I've heard uh, in recent times was this podcast where someone who played with Michael Jordan in college like you know the person was asked um, or the player was asked, uh, did you think Michael Jordan was going to be Michael Jordan? And it's so interesting because, um, you know, the player said not re- – you knew he was going to be good. You knew he was going to be special. But no one ever would have imagined kind of how uh, he ended up. Uh, but he had what it what it took. Um, so it's always fascinating to hear about, like, the stories of founders, like, early on, like, what, what they were like. Yeah, and, of course, Sansan came from a very uh, – disadvantaged background, sure, yeah. uh, undocumented Korean yeah. parents in Japan, which means no job, no education, which is why he came here to get an education, which is why he learned about micros, which he took back to him in Japan and work with all the microcomputer companies because no one would hire him. Yeah. And so when microcomputers flooded Japan, he literally went from a guy who couldn't get a golf game mm-hmm. to the richest individual in the country who hadn't inherited his money very quickly. Yeah. It's an exceedingly improbable yep. uh, uh, outcome. It just shows if you do what you do and stay uh, as who you are and focus on sort of keeping one step after another, um, you can uh, you can win. So uh, c- coming back to Box, so you learned uh, from your previous jobs. Now you've built you know uh, a company. It was whatever it was, forty thousand dollars in revenue. Yeah, that first year. <laughs> first Thought year. we were going to take over the world. Yeah. We're like, we did forty grand. You know, yeah. now it's like. A, what time is it? Like we did that, like you know, in the first few hours or first. Yeah, hour of the so day. now yeah. it's a lot of revenue, yeah. and now you've uh, raised a you know significant amount of money. Yeah. One of the things we like about you is it's not a huge amount of money you've raised, yeah. you, uh, uh, but at a rather notable value. Yeah. So, what are you learning here? That uh, and what are you curious about, or how are you extending yourself now for what comes? Next, and what do you think might come next? Um, I think my biggest lesson for Bach so far has been, um, you know, and, and it's, again, a lot of these concepts are, like, very simple, and they're, 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 a lot of folks have, you know, it's like a story that's told over and over again, but learning it and actually feeling it is very different. Um, uh, so, you know, when you start on a journey, right, like, um, your vision for what that journey will look like and what the road looks like, um, uh changes as you as you walk down that path like there is no way uh, you will know what will come the the good the bad and the opportunities uh over a, a two three especially a four or five year stretch especially when you're dealing with technology um but you know you will never be able to see those different kind of forks in the road if you just never get going and so uh looking back you know now we host all these folks in our fulfillment center it's this big giant automated thing it's like Star Wars E, there's totes flying all around. Um, they're like, you know, how did you like, did you ever imagine? I was like, I kind of imagine, but like, like the way to get started was like, we got an email with an order. I went to UPS World Chip and typed it into this desktop computer, hit print on the label, packed the box, put it on, and then out it went. And that was the first order. And if I had never done that, and if I was like, oh man, that will never get us to where we are today. 
then you know what? I never would have found the, the 20 other opportunities that help power our business today. Right. And we should note for the record that this was actually in your parents' garage. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah that, this is. <laughs> and I've been doing this a long time, and I think you're the third startup <laughs> that I've work with that actually started yeah. in an actual garage. There are pictures of it and everything. Yep. It looks like uh, 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 the beginning of a punk band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we could have been Bon Jovi or, or Box and we chose Box. So, <laughs> but it was, uh, um, you know, in retrospect, it's awesome. I wouldn't want it any other way, but I had to say when you're 30 something years old, like I was when we started Boxed, uh, sitting in a garage, it is not, it is not sexy. Uh, not at all. And so it's, uh, uh, you're like, your friends are, are, are bagging on you. Like, um, uh, everyone's like, kind of like, dude, this is, you're, you, you sure this is going to work? And uh, it wasn't sexy. But looking back, like, it was, it was so fun and I wouldn't have it any other way. One of the other uh, portfolio company CEOs uh, who's done well was in here a couple of weeks ago uh, having a conversation like this. And he started talking just uh, spontaneously about, I, I never had any idea that my job would be this different, that, uh, uh, you know, the companies at a scale now, where if he jumps in to do it, it's materially wrong. And uh, the whole milieu that he's in in the company is very, very different from what would be in a garage or any of that kind of thing. Is any of that happening to you and how are you feeling about it and how are you uh, responding to it? I, that is happening. And if you're doing things right, it is happening to you every single day. So if you think about my title being the same since the early days, I was a CEO and I packed that first box and I packed thousands of other boxes after that. Then we raised a Series A. It was more like, how do we get the word out? You know, So a little bit of marketer, a little bit of everything else, but I was still the CEO. You fast forward now, we've got hundreds of people. Like, like I do a detriment to the company if I get back on the line and pack that box. And so um, the things I deal with on a daily basis are not even fundamentally different. They are on like polar opposite sides of the planet uh, compared to what I did in those early days as a CEO of Box. So really keeping up and really kind of basically signing up for a new job almost every year um, uh, is something that's simultaneously tough, but also simultaneously keeps me really invigorated because there's always something new to learn. Um, I recently hung out with the founder of a uh, of a really big startup, and and he um, uh, told me this really interesting kind of analogy of of his relationship and what he painted with his employees and that he's like, in a lot of ways, like I'm kind of like a parent of a new child when you first start uh, a startup. And so when, when, when there is that, that kind of, uh, you know, parent baby relationship, like the baby cannot survive a single day without the parents. And that's in inception. That is literally what, what a startup is, right? Like you have a three person company. If there's one, one founder, that person leaves, that company's dead. Like it's done. Um, but as time goes on, uh, as the child grows, you, you, st- you the, the thing totally, the, the relationship totally changes. Uh, it's not that it's a change for the bad, but it just morphs uh, over time. And you want it to. Yeah. You want it to. Uh, uh, there are people listening yeah. for whom the image of the non-functioning teenager asleep <laughs> on the couch at 2 o'clock in the uh, afternoon, uh, uh, a little bit of space, yeah. uh, a little bit of transformation and relationship can be a, uh, a really good thing. So one last uh, question here, because we only have so much time. You and I oh, could do this. Like, yeah, yeah. I was, we were just getting started, man. This I know. Is, but we, we could just We didn't even talking. start drinking wine either. So this no, is no, we should. <laughs> yeah. Let them know. There is no wine present. And actually, uh, that's our story, yeah. and we're sticking to it. <laughs> well, uh, everyone listening here, if you haven't raised money from Social Start, you'll know that you get invited to these really awesome events. And 
the wine collection is unbelievable. I'm not a huge wine drinker, but at the last function that I went to, you like those, like, huh? Oh my gosh! Like every single one, I was like, "This is the best wine I've ever had." And then you had another glass, you're like, "That's better," you know. Uh, Bill and I got into wine when we worked for Bill Ziff, and, and we've sort of been into wine. And you know, those parties started because Bill and I are in our 60s now. And and Bill said, "I have collected more wine than I can drink in my lifetime." <laughs> and we're like, "That's a terrible sin. That cannot be allowed to happen. Let's do something uh, worthwhile with this wine." And we thought. Uh, creating a little bit of joy uh, in our community would be fun. What we didn't realize is what a a sort of deep symbol Mm. these older wines could be for younger entrepreneurs. So the first time we did this, much to our surprise, we had entrepreneurs sort of doing selfies, which was basically, uh, dudes, I'm standing here with a bottle of wine older than me. In a glorious castle in Napa, <laughs> look who's standing behind me. You know, you guys have fun in your cubes. You have you have a good time now as baristas. I have ascended, and um, and so we've just kept doing it because it, it so seemed fun. to yeah. And it and it also you know sometimes with uh, investors and and entrepreneurs and folks around investors, the conversations get a little. Uh, tendentious, a little heavy, sure. because folks are on their best behavior, yeah. and they, they, they want to, I'm on it all the time, and uh, and we're supposed to act like we know everything, and uh, we can fix all problems, and we're connected to everybody in the universe, and we very much wanted to break through that, mm-hmm. to actually get to this, I'm a human being, and you're a human being, which is actually, in some ways, a lot more interesting. Yeah. I mean, talking about your CAC is really valuable, yeah. talking about... Uh, the uh, efficiency of your back end in yeah. processing transactions is really important. But on the other hand, who are you? Yeah. And, and, and who am I? And let's actually get to know one another uh, as people. Um, and so that's why we do them. So, yeah, if you want to come to the parties, you call us up and talk to us. And if we like you, we'll give you money. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that I, I feel like um, uh, it's rare, uh, but Social Starts is one of them where I've had entire meetings with social starts folks, especially Bill, and we barely have talked business. And maybe perhaps a few times we talked no business the entire time, which is rare, you know. And so uh, now that you mention it, 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 it is true. Like, I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but I look back at some of those lunches and um, uh, sometimes we just don't even talk about business. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because you're an interesting guy and he's interested in you being an interesting guy. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I also think that Bill is a logical person. So at a certain point, hearing about the flying drones in the uh, uh, fulfillment center, all these details is comforting and valuable to us as investors, but it's kind of extrinsic. So the the big value that Bill could get from a conversation with you in the context of investor and entrepreneur is he's still happy. Yeah. He yeah. still likes it. He, you know, he's testing your joy. Yeah. If you've got the joy, Good stuff is going to happen, and if you start looking a little, hmm, I don't know, um, really the impact on the business could be uh, quite material. So um, those young entrepreneurs we've sort of been uh, referring to by proxy that might be out uh, there listening to this, having gone through a couple of startups, one that did okay, one that did up and down, one that seems to be building value steadily, um, what's uh, the one sort of, if you call it sage advice you might give them from where you are now about one thing based on your experience they should do and one thing based on your experience uh, they should not do when they're starting? Uh, how about at least what you should do and um, 
what you should do versus uh, and then a practical should do and a more esoteric should do. That's fine. So esoterical esoteric should do is um, you know one foot in front of the other. Don't let yourself get too high. Don't let yourself get too low. So just you know no just cut out the kind of um, uh, the outliers, if you will, on, on your emotions. And just know that it's like, it's just don't ever go one div above the, the curve and then or one div uh, below the curve. Just like, you know, keep it pretty steady. Um, the other more practical thing is, um, uh, you know, it, it, it surprises me the amount of uh, early stage folks who are starting companies and don't have a full-time tech co-founder. Um, and that is just so, so, so important. I've seen, you know, just... Um, um, not only to bounce ideas off of, but also that what you'll find is that it's so iterative in the in the in the beginning. So meaning that um, uh, you'll want someone uh, just with you making changes to the product uh, without kind of charging you like an outsourced development fee or saying, oh, you know what, I've got my day job, and so uh, you know, like I, you know, I'll get to it this weekend. Um, so I, I found that to be very helpful as well. Yeah, great. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. We think you have to own your means of production because the world is more complicated than you think it is because the customers being human beings will surprise you. Your plans are going to get blown up. So if everybody isn't sitting there living over the store, if they aren't right close to hand and committed, you can't respond to those unexpected experiences fast enough. And uh, so you'll always be kind of catching up with yourself and patching and ameliorating as opposed to staying on top of things and anticipating. And it makes a huge difference, we think, in uh, how uh, a company can get off to a stable and effective start. Um, and you asked for one thing to not do. Uh, and I'd say don't pick an idea solely because you feel like the time has come and you should pick this idea. Um, let the idea come to you like I, I, I say like if you you'll know it when you see it um, uh, and you won't be able to sleep you won't be able to think of anything else during the day and if you just feel like oh my gosh I would never be able to live with myself if someone else took this idea and was really successful that's the idea and you need that type of fervor uh, because there will be the ups and there will be the low low lows um, and so you need to start pretty high uh, in order to balance things out yep. I couldn't agree more. Great to talk to you as always. Thanks. We could go on for hours, but uh, maybe we'll do it again soon. Awesome. Actually, Thanks, we're going to do it again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs>